this is the kind of music one might associate with Woolworths. It's their brand, right? It's also the kind of music one might associate with a baby brand, say Ubuntu Baba. But the recent situation calls for something maybe a little different. Perhaps something a little like this. In the last few weeks, social media has lit up in defense of a small business, Ubuntu Baba, that essentially had one of their products ripped off, copied in other words, by a large international retailer, Woolworths. By and large, the uproar that we saw and that we continue to see on social media and in other forums is a conversation that is focused very much on the moral ethical position that Woolworths seemed to take as they explicitly went out, purchased one of these products, copied it almost exactly, and then released it as one of their products at a significantly lower price. This incident, which is not Woolworths' first indiscretion in this area, has allowed us to look at small businesses and intellectual property rights with a renewed sense of interest that, in the case of this conversation, has yielded some really, really valuable insights. It would be naive to think that that wouldn't be copied at some level. This is a business answer. The morality of it comes into the fact that that we are citizens of this country and there there is a... A social cohesion and respect required for each other. I know with my competition, there are many things I could do. I just don't do them because I just don't feel it's morally the right thing to do, even though legally it is. I think there are two elements to look at here, but I would argue that the playing field and the rules that are set up mean that whatever Woolworths did, irrespective of whether what we think about the ethics of it, the reality is they played by the set of rules that are assigned to them. Now, what did the entrepreneur do to protect themselves in that process? The moment one of those things went into the Woolies supply chain, I can guarantee that they had lawyers looking to go and say, well, what can we own in this process? And how do we put a trademark on it? And how do we go and protect what it is? And how do we protect the standards of it? And I think that that is a very good example where I think the entrepreneur could have done something, taken a little bit of advice, gone and gotten a little bit of legal application advice around, here's the patent application, what can we protect from the, the, the knowledge that we've applied in building this? And I will preface the following with a slight disclaimer in the sense that our law does permit an element of copying as being legitimate and lawful. And quite when the line is crossed is often a matter of interpretation and one that uh, often ends up in litigation. Those are the voices of our experts for this discussion. Alon Reyes, the founder and CEO of Corp, one of Africa's largest and most successful business incubators. Mark Ashton, the former CEO of JSE-listed MoneyWeb, now turned biotech entrepreneur and our legal expert, Andrew Taylor, who is the co-founder of Legal Legends. So the big question we're asking and trying to find answers to is how do we protect ourselves from these big players? How do we protect our intellectual property, all the time and effort that has gone into development of a product, an MVP, that we are told we must get into the market as quickly as possible? But when we do that, it simply is scooped up by a large organization with deep pockets and vast resources. And then we as entrepreneurs, seemingly, from what we've just heard, may not even have a legal leg to stand on. Let's find out a little bit more. I don't necessarily agree with the whole concept that you can't marry MVP and IP together. 
I think the thing about it often comes in is your first product is not your finished product. But you've got a process that you went through to get to that. And I think that most people think that the technology side is actually the thing that you can patent or you can whatever. There's, no, there's very little patent or intellectual property protection for, for software, as an example. And people believe that, well, I've made the technology, therefore I can protect it. Well, no, you can't, because a lot of these things are either built on free infrastructure or free software, or you've used a third-party developer or whatever, and, and you've incrementally built this thing along the way. I think that where people go wrong is that they don't necessarily have a strategy for what it is they're building. So they don't say, and they don't document their process. So Mark raises a really important point here. Deliberate conscious strategy. In other words, a plan to protect. There's too much adornment of the idea. There's too much emphasis on the idea. It's about how you execute. It's not about the MVP. It's about the actual commercialization of that and actually it's about a land grab and it's about it's about moving into and getting dominance in a space everyone's got a fantastic idea everyone's going to take over the world everyone's got the app of tomorrow the uber of tomorrow whatever it is those businesses are never ever built because one person had an idea and i think that that is one of the things that i mean has definitely stood out for me in the last year is I have a fantastic business partner who is incredibly smart and has all the skills that I don't have. I have one or two skills that he doesn't have. So the two of us are useful. Now we get to the point where it's, okay, cool, we built something, but now we need the next piece of the puzzle. You ultimately need a way to execute or, or realize the value that's tied up in intellectual property. That, that, that is kind of the proof of the, proof of the eating of the pudding, really. An essential part of that plan can be found in the legal opportunities that are available to us. There are three broad categories of these. Andrew, explain. A relative framework of the available intellectual property right protections is useful for framing the conversation. So the first of which is copyright, which exists in artistic music or literary works and arises automatically in respect of the right to control the reproduction and use of those works. And because of that amounts to the most basic form of intellectual property right protection because there's no need for any positive action on the part of the holder to actually register those copyrights. This, of course, is distinguished from the case of a patent or a trademark which requires registration. So the patent is granted to an inventor to allow them the ability to protect their new or novel invention and to decide how it will be uh, commercially exploited, if at all. The second is a trademark, which is capable of registration by the owner thereof and applies to a logo or to some form of distinguishing sign, which allows that logo to distinguish the goods or services of the provider from those of its competitors. As we were discussing, Alon, Mark and Andrew stressed that these legal opportunities are massively important. In Alon's words, he describes them as hygiene factors that have to be there, but ultimately copyright, trademarks, patents alone hold no value. Here they are to explain. One of my privileges that I've had on my journey is to do some talking and lecturing in, at Oxford. And part of the quid pro quo is I get to go and sit in some of the lecturers um, as part of the the deal. 
And so for three years in a row, I went to the same series of lectures because I kept learning more and more. But the interesting thing was the con- what the concept that I, I learned there was that innovation is not a determinant of success. So let's take, uh, I've got a cell phone here in front of me on the, on the desk. We all know about squeeze technology, you know, squeezing your fingers to open or close a, a frame. That was a patented technology. Within months, somebody had found a different way to do it and they were around it. Now it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. So the concept, what, what, what the lecture was going on about was the fact that innovation is just like breathing. It should be there. But if you look at the people who have actually become hugely successful in the world, they are the ones who have market dominance. They have ecosystem dominance. They dominate pieces of the ecosystem. If you think of two schools of thought, one around innovation and one around ecosystem dominance as different schools of thought, somebody thinks innovation is the way to go. I'm not that guy. I think innovation is like breathing. We should all be doing it, iterating. Uh, I find the concept of disruption a red herring. And so I would rather focus my energy on iteratively and brick by brick just trying to dominate a piece of an ecosystem. And that, to me, is where you go. Now, coming back to this story, because I want to relate it, that now the focus is on innovation copying the thing. It's not about channels to market. So Woolworths has got distribution. And, you know, they say customer is king, but uh, distribution is King Kong. And they've got distribution, so they've got dominance. So the innovation, will, they'll just plug things into their distribution because they've got distribution dominance over this lady. And that's the game that's being played. So dominance trumped innovation at that point because they will iterate or copy. Once again, I just want to reiterate, this is not a moral discussion around. It's definitely immoral to do this within the context of South Africa, but it's certainly always going to happen. I think what we're doing here is developing a much more mature, well-rounded view of intellectual property and intellectual property protection. What we haven't yet done is spoken about the development of intellectual property within a team, especially a team where you may be the originator of the idea, but you need specialist skills to develop it. If we take this one step further, there's also the development of intellectual property using other people's resources, and a step even further, the development of intellectual property within another business. We're not deliberate with our strategy. So, for instance, if I look at the medical technology thing, we have local developers, we have international developers, we have sports science guys who've contributed to the product, During that process, we're constantly building intellectual properties. Now we've brought on a sports science guy or a biomechanist, and if we just kind of randomly say, tell us what to do, we're bringing them into the circle of influence for this. So they can then say, well, fine, they've actually contributed to the intellectual property of that. So, you know, the original question was, can an MVP and an IP be protected or, or not? I think the answer is yes, because we, we have a minimum viable product. I'm going to go to the person, the, the biomechanist, and say, I'm going to pay you for your time, but whatever you create is mine. And I think that that's a, a very good example of something where you have a very deliberate strategy to say, oh, I need a certain set of skills to enhance my product to a certain point, but I'm not just because somebody has, I, I'm not going to expose myself because somebody's given me a piece of insight to be able to improve my product. I want to protect myself, and, I, and it's very easy to be able to do a simple IPS rights assignment agreement and say, I assign, I, I'm requesting you to help me build this, but whatever I build, 
belongs to me and I comp- compensate you for your time. And I think that that's where we often make mistakes and that we're not deliberate enough about the, this building process. Well, that certainly helps us from a personal and team perspective. What about when we're using other people's resources or facilities? Or perhaps we have a really good idea, but we're still working for someone. Mark has a few more insights to share with us. So FMB has always pushed this culture of being um, innovative. And, you know, there's some quite significant rewards for it. I mean, you can make a million bucks, two million bucks, whatever the thing is, there's some incentive to be able to go and create IP inside of businesses. So I, I... I think that there is a lot of IP that can be built and realized and rewarded for creating, you know, people can be rewarded for going and creating these things. I think where it starts to become a little bit iffy is, so, you know, we, we were, as part of this medtech thing, we went in this gap initiative, and a lot of them were academics. Now, a lot of them were either part-time academics or they are full-time but thinking about going commercializing. Now, for them, you know, what started out as an idea in the lab and then they sort of worked a little bit in the laboratory and then they suddenly say, okay, well, now I want to go and commercialize it. And they realize, but whatever, if I've used laboratory gear or laboratory time, it doesn't belong to me. And how do I transfer it out? And again, this speaks again to our deliberateness of it. If I'm going to go and work on a project, let me think about the environment that I'm working on it in. Because if I suddenly say, well... I've got a really good idea. And then I start building a little bit during you know, my lunch break, but in my office, and I'm using the internet at the, um, I'm spitballing here, but the, the the principle being that I'm using somebody else's resources to build, I expose myself to the fact that I might lose my intellectual property down the line. And again, if you were deliberate about it, you would very clearly document that it wasn't being done on site. Yeah, here are the risks. This is how I'm... Mitigating, yeah. getting around these risks, yeah. And I'm going to take it off, and this is the equipment that I used, and I'm going to hit this whole process. Somebody can't turn around and say to you, but you generated this while working for me. Because then we have the please call me situations, which my view would be that if you're working for somebody, you've created it using them. And to me, that speaks to a lack of preparation from the entrepreneur side so that they can protect themselves. And finally, let's talk about consequences. Woolworths, in spite of being the large organization that it is, didn't come out of this unscathed. What is particularly interesting about this matter is that it's demonstrative of the trend of litigation by social media, which has been sweeping the world and not only South Africa by storm, where the legal merits and and legal principles at hand are not really the only means of resolving a dispute such as this. Effectively, this dispute seems to have been resolved by the owner of the intellectual property posting a blog article on their website, which was then picked up by social media and went uh, South Africa's version of viral, eliciting a formal response when no response from Woolworths had been forthcoming by conventional means, but a response was eventually elicited by way of the social media furor that was created by this blog article. This demonstrates the real power and persuasive influence of market sentiment. And there, I've read some analyses of it on this uh, matter, which indicate that the perception of Woolworths as a brand has taken a significant knock on the back of the Ubuntu Baba passing off matter. 
and they've done it before. We know they've done it before. But if it becomes something that they keep doing and doing and doing and doing, then I think there'd be huge brand damage because it'd become part of their their brand. Is Those are the guys that, that steal ideas. I don't think it, there's a decree from above saying, Die Schultz copy. I think it's just see what's new, what's trending, and, and let's make sure that we always are relevant in the market. I think that's the brief versus copy exactly what so-and-so did and so-and-so did. I don't think that's it. But if that happens again, so let's say, for example, this comes out again next week and then three weeks' time and then four weeks after that and becomes part of the narrative of that brand, then I might stop shopping at, at Woody's. Your brand, what people say about you when you're no longer in the room. I hope you've taken away as much as I have from this conversation. I went in with a very narrow view of what intellectual property protection was all about, a simple case of a legal application for something, but it is so much more. What I'm certainly taking away is that if you're serious about business and you are serious about your product, you really truly believe that you have something of great value to a market that is definitely going to purchase, there is a multi-pronged approach that you should be following to your intellectual property protection, and it's not just legal. My name is Gareth Armstrong. I hope that you have enjoyed this Ask an Expert feature. Look out for the next conversation on social media. Alternatively, subscribe and you will get notifications when I've asked another group of experts to weigh in on important topics and important questions that you and I are asking.